Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Stand, if you would, please. Revelation chapter 3. We begin reading in verse 7. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. And hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. Quite a mouthful spoken here. I've been introducing the last few of these messages with some interesting facts. Uh, unlike our previous city of Sardis, uh, I believe that was the one that, uh, that no longer exists, but unlike th- uh, that city, the city of Philadelphia still uh, it does exist today. It is renamed uh, to Allah Sehir. You can only guess why it has a name like that. It is in Turkey. It contains in it some 45 mosques for the 47,000 people that live there. That is a mosque almost for every 1,000 people. That sounds like Baptist churches in Tennessee. Um, so it's a sad thing to see a place that was once a, a centerpiece for the work of God become so taken over by the work of Satan, but, but that's, that's the way it is. And it should cause us to take heed to the warnings of our Savior to the other churches in Asia Minor to see a place so under the power of Satan, not that God is not still working there today. Of course, the the name Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. My understanding is it was not named that by a Christian man, but by a king uh, who named it after his own brother and the love that he had for his brother. And uh, so anyway, Philadelphia, today called Alasehir, I believe is how that is pronounced. And so... I think it's very interesting. It sits up on a hill on an elevated ground. And as of 2022, this year, for the population 47,117. I tried to find out if there are any churches there. My guess is if there are any true churches in that city today, they are not advertising that on the Internet. I'm just guessing based on the number of mosques that there are in that city. And so anyway, I think it's always, uh, inc- I just think it's an, an, an encouraging thing to know that the places we read about in the Bible, uh, they're, not, they're not fictitious. They're literal places that still exist uh, today. And so, anyways, we look at this church. We'll do what we've been doing. We'll take the outline of four different points. 
We'll look at the characterization of Christ, how he presents himself to the church, the comprehension of Christ, what he knows about the church and has to say about it, his counsel to the church, and then the consolation that he gives them. There's always a, pro a promise if you overcome, this is what will be gained. There's a lot more consolation. It's very interesting. To the church of Philadelphia, there are more words of consolation even than what he says he knows about them. Uh, when I was outlining, I had to shift uh, the way I've been outlining. They've been very, very easily falling into this succession of, here's who I am, here's what I know about you, here's what you need to do, and here's what I promise to do if you overcome. Um, this one, it is so full of consoling words that the consolation, the fourth point, uh, is verses 9, 10, 12, and 13. Because this is such a faithful church. It's the one word. I saw different authors characterizing it different ways. They use uh, different words to characterize it. One called it the frail church because of its weakness, but then talking about how God gave it strength through weakness. But all I could call it is the faithful church. This is a faithful church. I would say this. If we can have one heart and one mind as Bonners Ferry, at Bonners Ferry Baptist Church, while I know we want to see more fruit, I know we want to see... Uh, we'd love to see the Lord add more people to us. We'd love to see the Lord add more laborers. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord added five or ten more teachers to this church and people that need to be taught? Wouldn't that be glorious? But here's the danger. If we make that our goal, meaning in the next five years we want to add ten Sunday school classes, and that becomes our goal, expansion, right? Then many times, you know what we have to do to get that done? We have to make little compromises, not big ones. Well, that guy can teach a class. Now, he's not firm on belief that the Bible is infallible, but he's a great teacher. So what we'll do is we'll give him a class and we'll just try to keep a thumb on him. Make sure he doesn't teach from anything but the King James. And we'll just try to keep a thumb on him here, but we need to expand. We need to grow. You know, we want to, we want to grow and our music is not really, it's kind of old-fashioned and out of date. And so we want to see more people come in. Now, we're not going to put a rock band on the stage, but, oh, wait a minute, I call it a stage? Oops. I mean the platform or... Uh, we wouldn't do that, but we are going to spice things up a little bit to make it a little more entertaining around here. We won't compromise the message. No, no. We'll maintain doctrinal purity. But when our goal shifts from we simply want to be what the Lord wants us to be, our duty is to be loyal to this book because it's His Word. We will, we will not water down our message. I'm not, I'm not going to come to a text of Scripture that is dealing with something difficult that might make people feel uncomfortable and say, you know what, we can't accomplish our goals of filling the pews if we preach on that subject. So I'm not going to preach against it. I'm just not going to preach it. We're just going to avoid that issue. Now we're not dealing with things that the Lord said. And that's why Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul put that in the context of none of these things moved me. I've been through affliction, I've been through difficulty, I've been through hardship for the word of God. None of these things move me. I'm, I've, I've declared unto you in Ephesus all the counsel of God. So as a church, we look at the church of Philadelphia, what they had done, they had been true to the word of God. As the young generation of this church is getting older and becoming young adults, you all are going to determine, so many, much as the Lord keeps you here, even if he sends you somewhere else, you're going to determine the direction. And you say, well, you're the pastor. Yeah. But the next generation coming up needs to figure out what church is supposed to be. As God keeps you in church, you need to get this in your heart. Church is about Jesus Christ. 
It's about his word. It's about being loyal to him. It's about preaching his message. It's about taking his positions, not a position that allows us to be more accommodating to a world that hates him. We are to love them for his sake. Amen? But not love them for our sakes. Many times, many of the ideas that creep into a church that bring corruption on their face seem like good ideas because we're trying to do something bigger for God. I don't find anything in my New Testament that says, go try to do something really big for God so he'll be impressed with you. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to represent his name. He wants us to be more concerned about what people think about him than what they think about us. Amen? That's at, that's at the end of the day what it's about. And so verse 7, let's go ahead and look at this. And the, to the angel uh, uh, of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. This is the characterization of Christ. If you've been paying attention, and we'll see if you don't know this, it doesn't mean you've not been paying attention, but maybe you'll pick up on something in verse 7 that's different than all the introduction of the Lord uh, of himself to the, to the five churches previous. In this verse, if you were to scour Revelation chapter 1, where would you find the Lord described like this in John's vision? As the one having the key of David. He's not. In every other church, he's repeated some characterization of himself in his revelation to John in that image that John had, feet of brass, eyes as a flame of fire, a two-edged sword. But to the church at Philadelphia, they had a glimpse of Christ that the other churches did not. Meaning they knew more about him or knew him. He describes himself to them in a way that wasn't even described in his introduction to John. It talks about Jesus having the keys in Revelation 1, but it's the keys of death and of hell. He's got all the keys, amen. But the key of David has to do with him uh, coming as the son of David to rule and reign over all the nations of the earth. It has to do with his authority as the son of David, the fulfillment of the prophecies of old about a, a kingdom that will never end. That's the idea. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 22, verse 22, which at the time, as I understand, was speaking of Eliakim, the priest, who was a type of Jesus Christ. But here, the Lord Jesus makes it clear the fulfillment of that type that Eliakim was is Jesus himself. And you can look up Isaiah 22, 22 in your, own, in your own time if you wish. But it's interesting how the Lord describes himself. He begins with this. These things saith he that is. And what's his first word to describe himself? Holy. Thus, these things saith he that is holy. We need to understand the holiness of the Lord is really his defining attribute. It's what, it's, what, it's what defines everything else. And so God is love. Yes, he is. But God is holy. God is truth. Yes, he is. But God is holy. How many of us have ever told the truth for the wrong reason? Because we're unholy when we do that. Meaning we're not separated unto righteousness. We're using right things to do wrong things. Not God. God is holy. Thus saith, um, these things saith he that is holy, he that is True, in God is no impurity. You and I can look him up one side and down the other. Um, because he's holy, he is true. We'll never have to doubt his judgments. We never have to doubt his word. The idea of the Lord being true is he is 100% entirely trustworthy. Thus, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. Then he describes he that hath the key of David. Now, this is key to the passage because he's going to be gone 
uh, go on and talk about the door that he's opened to this church. Uh, he that hath uh, the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Yeah, you understand throughout the New Testament, you'll read about doors being opened. Paul says, I believe in Colossians, pray for me that a door of utterance would be opened, meaning an opportunity to utter the gospel. Sunday night we were talking about praying this week for doors of opportunity to be opened for us and for us to recognize. Now, while God does not save men against their will, we do understand he has to open doors. Amen? Let me just say this. I'm trying to throw this in here for help. This is why we would, I don't believe you can take the gospel to the wrong person. But unless the Lord opens the door, you're not taking the gospel to any person. The Lord has to, we are laborers together with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it is God's working in people. And so the Lord is reminding, he, he tells us Matthew 16 verse 18, uh, Thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against uh, the church. You know why? Because he's got the key. You, you, the Lord holds the key to the gates of hell. Satan wants to pin people in and take them to hell, but the Lord Jesus has the key to open the door to go set them free. And he says to the church of Philadelphia, I have opened a door for you. I do not believe you can disconnect. I know you cannot because it's in the word of God. Disconnect faithfulness with open doors. If you and I want an open door of opportunity, may I say this? The Lord has opened the door for Bonners Ferry Baptist Church into central Mexico. We should not take that for granted. We should not think, oh, churches all over the country are sending missionaries into the world. No, they're not. No, they're not. In fact, the average independent Baptist church is, does not send missionaries. It's rare for an independent Baptist church to send a missionary out, to send a church planter out. I only know... Uh, one or two in the entire Northwest that are sending people. And that's not to diss on that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord opens doors, but the, the opening of a door cannot and will not and, and should not be disconnected with a church that had been faithful when tempted not to be faithful. And so the Lord said, I want to remind you, I've got the key of David. Uh, I, 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 I'm the one in authority. The entire, there's going to be a, an emphasis on his authority here, but not only authority to chastise, but authority to give opportunity. We know that an open door speaks of opportunity. Paul said, and, and I, I didn't write down the text, but he said, a great and effectual door is open unto us, but there are many adversaries. So the Lord opens doors. The Bible talks about a door being opened to the Gentiles. Peter had the key and it opened the door of the gospel, the door of faith being opened to the Gentiles. Paul prayed, pray for me that a door of utterance would be open, meaning we know that Satan opposes the furtherance of the gospel, but we know who holds the key. Now, if you want the one who's got the key to open doors for you, you and I need to be faithful to him. He has to know when I open the door, you're going to go through it and do what I want you to do. <laughs> right? So he says, I open doors, and when I open them, no one can shut them. No one can shut them. Uh, this same, this same uh, gentleman I was quoting earlier, Brother Andrew, he said, there is no place, no place closed to the gospel if you're willing to go and never return. In essence, you know what he was saying? If you are willing to go and be faithful, God will open the door. You know why, God, you know why Paul had so many doors open in him? Because he was asking and seeking and knocking. And the one who held the key opened the door. We often think of knocking and the other person on the other side opening. 
Sometimes we need to be knocking on doors for the Lord to open up to us so we can go through and get through what's on the other side. There are people who need to hear the gospel. Does it cross our mind to pray for an open door, a door of utterance to be open to us? Maybe it's a neighbor. You say, that neighbor is hard as a rock. Well, let's pray for the Lord to open a door. Pray for the Lord to open a door so that we may take the gospel. I read uh, today, I, I, I wish I'd written down the name, but uh, um, some years ago, a man ended up being burned at the stake. And forgive me, if I, if, if, if I had not written, if I'd written it down, I would be able to remember it without looking at it. But there was a man that led him to Christ, and this man that got burned at the stake had originally been a Catholic priest, and there was some nobody that, that had, had met this priest and, and prayed, Lord, would you please give me an opportunity to give him the gospel. The man that prayed for him had read the writings of Erasmus and come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I think the man that led him to the Lord was named Blarney. And so he prayed, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to witness that priest? The man he wanted to witness to was a very important, well-known popular man, a great speaker, known as the most honest man in England. And this nobody prayed, would you give me an opportunity, an open door to preach the gospel? So he went to where this man was at as a priest and said, uh, dear Mr. Priest, I would like to come and confess my soul to you. And they went in the confessional booth, and you know what he did. He preached to him the gospel. The priest comes out, joins him on the other side, kneeled down and received Christ as his Savior. And some years later was burned at the stake for refusing to be loyal to the Catholic Church. The point would be, the man was able to win him to Christ. You know why? He prayed for the one who holds the key to open the door. And here's what we need to understand tonight. The Lord is the one that is, that is if Satan is holding territory, it's the Lord, not Satan, that has power to open that thing up. He holds the key. And so there's going to be an emphasis in this that the Lord Jesus who has the key had opened a door of opportunity to the Philadelphian church. Now, if you want to make a case that these churches represent church ages, this is probably the strongest case to be made that the church of Philadelphia would represent a church age. If you study the missionary age, going back to Adoniram Judson and William Carey and some of those men, Something miraculous took place in this world where there was a revival of missions. It is generally understood that for a thousand years, the work of furthering the gospel had laid dormant. It wasn't being done. And so whether or not they truly do, because the Bible doesn't fully spell that out, I think you can make a strong case from the Philadelphian church. And when you start tracking back from there, that's where people get the idea these represent church ages. And there's a good correlation to be seen there. But the fact of the matter would be that the Lord began to open doors when Carrie went to India. I read tonight, I never knew this, the man learned 12 languages, 12 languages, and was preaching and teaching and translating in the Bible. You know what Carrie was before he went to be a missionary? A shoe cobbler. A shoe cobbler who got a burden. He had a Bible, and he had a map on his wall, and a burden in his soul for the lost who weren't hearing the gospel. You know what God did for William Carey? He opened the door. You know what God did for Adoniram Judson? He opened the door into Burma. Uh, and, and so many others, God opened Hudson Taylor into China. God opened the door, but they were men who were being faithful already. Uh, and there were churches at that time that got behind them and helped them to go. And so uh, anyway, having said all of that, the characterization of Christ is I'm holy, I'm true. That's who's speaking to you, he that is holy. He that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. When Christ opens the door, you're not going to shut it. And when he shuts the door, you're not going to open it. He is in charge. He has the key. Number two, we see the comprehension of Christ in verse 8. He said, I know thy works. He doesn't go on to describe what they were. 
This is what's interesting. He doesn't describe exactly what the works were. He doesn't describe how many the works were, but he will give us the sort of works they were. Do you realize at the judgment seat how our works are going to be judged? Not according to quantity, but what sort they are. Meaning, the church of Philadelphia was doing what they were doing for the right reason, for the right person. And so, the Lord Jesus said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. The Lord said, I've told you, I open doors and no man can shut them. Now, when you have a door that's open in front of you, what are you supposed to do? Go through it. May I say this? For churches in the United States of America, we still have an open door to carry the gospel to whoever we want to without getting in trouble. We better not think for one minute that man has opened that door. A democratic republic has not opened that door. A God who set this nation up and can take her down has opened that door. This is what saddens me because churches seem to be more interested today in their own popularity than the name of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to carry the the gospel to every house and every town where there's a church and many churches will not even do that anymore. For these reasons, they'll think we're Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll think we're Mormons. You know the best way to tell somebody you're not a Jehovah's Witness when you go to the door? Uh, tell them. Do you realize this? When we're not, and I believe in, in getting the gospel out in many ways, but if we have an open door to take the gospel to whomsoever we want, shouldn't we walk through that door? <laughs> Should we not take that opportunity? We can still take the gospel out into the public area like we did the other Sunday night and preach. I believe if we don't, we're going to lose that open door. It's open now. We have, the, we have an open door. It is easier to send missionaries from America than any nation on earth as far as I know. Do you know why? Because the United States of America is still a respected nation around the world and people want U.S. citizens in their country by and large. We have an open door. <laughs> but all too often, that door is not being You know what I believe, by the way? There have been faithful churches in this country willing to access that open door. A door has been opened, and so I don't want to go too far off off base here, but when God opens a door, we need to take full advantage of the open door. And so then, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Three things we'll say about what the Lord Jesus knew about this church. Number one, he knew their fruitfulness. He knew their works. Uh, He knew the operation that they were involved in. He knew what they were doing. And then he knew about their opportunity and he informed them about their opportunity. He said, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Meaning no one else, if I opened it, no one else has the authority to close it. And so then uh, when he knows their fruitfulness, it speaks of the operation, their works, and their opportunity, their open door. Letter B, he knew their frailty. He said, uh, for thou hast a little strength. Now, if you have a little strength, what what do you not have? A lot of strength. (laughs) Do you realize a church doesn't have to have a lot of inherent strength to be successful? What do we think makes a church strong? That's why I asked the question at the beginning, what makes us a a successful church? If we're going to gauge it by just the carnal mind, it's numbers, 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 the number of people on the membership roll, the number of dollars in the bank, the number of ministries in operation. And while those things are wonderful, when God can multiply those and there's fruit, we don't preach against fruitfulness. I hope you don't misunderstand. But it doesn't take a lot of strength to be faithful. In fact, God's strength is made perfect in 
weakness. Now, we quote that verse, but we don't often believe it because when we start getting weak, we think we can't be used of God. And here's the thing. You know what encouraged me about this? Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church can be a Philadelphia church. We don't have to have a lot of strength. One of the things that stands out about us, we're a small church. You know what this says? We have a little strength. <laughs> we don't have strong numbers. Somebody said, hey, can you send us over 25 laborers? Well, we can. We won't be able to have, have church on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, we can, we can do that. We can transfer all of us to where you are. That's all right. Uh, the fact is we don't have a lot of strength in numbers. And while God faithfully meets our financial needs, uh, we wouldn't be going out and building a new building tomorrow. Right? The point is this, though. How many of us know God has used this little church? Amen? He can use us so long as we'll be faithful to his word. Uh, he'll, he'll bless that. So he's not concerned. He said, I know uh, thou hast a little strength. But he said, so here's what I know about you. I've opened a door to you. Uh, no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. He said, here's what I know. I know your frailty, but I know your faithfulness. I know that you have not, what does it mean, kept my word? The Bible talks about us keeping his words, keeping his commandments. What's the opposite of keep? Either lose or reject. Someone says, hey, I would like to give this to you. And they give you some ink pen or something, and the next time uh, they see you say, hey, how do you like the ink pen? And you're like, did you give me an ink pen? Yeah, did you not keep it? Oh, that ink pen. No, I gave it away. You didn't keep it. You did not retain it. But he said, you've kept my word. Why would a church not keep his word? Because there are other things that entice us. There are philosophies that are more appealing to your flesh than this book and my flesh. There are ideas that are more appealing than the word of God. So what we do is we trade. We trade his word for something else. We trade his word for an, an ideology. We trade his word for emotion. We trade his word for intellectualism. We trade his word for experience. We trade his word for a lot of things. But you know what the Philadelphia church had done? They, they kept his word. Apparently, the false Jews had come along offering what they offered, and they would have no part of it. We don't, want, we don't want your doctrine that doesn't line up with his word. Thank you. You can keep your doctrine. We'll just believe what God said. We'll believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they had kept his word. They had retained what he said. They had held to it. As it said of the church in Antioch in Acts 11, they, cle they clave unto the Lord. They cleave to him, meaning they stuck to him like glue. You know what? You and I need not look. One of the things, that, I'll give you one example from Scripture. Luke 16 is the account of the rich man and Lazarus, okay? It, it, uh, it became popular some, some, some long time back to, to interpret Luke 16 as a parable. And then once you begin to say it's a parable, then you can say, well, the, the account of hell is allegorical. You know what that is? That's not keeping his word. If you study your Bible and you read what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say, Luke 10 and Matthew 12 make it abundantly clear that hell is a real place that only God has power to cast you into. It's a very real place that someone goes after they die without Christ. And so there are those who've traded the philosophy of soul sleep, the ideology or the doctrine of soul sleep for the word of God. There are those who have traded the ideology of a literal return of Christ. Well, it's just figuratively speaking uh, by allegorizing the Bible, by making it figurative, or by outright saying, no, that's not the philosophy we hold. 
there's been a replacement of the Word of God for other things. Our job as a church is to keep His Word, to make sure that any and everything He says is always welcome into our hearts, ears, and minds. That's what we do. We never get to a place where we're saying, you know, we know that the Bible teaches that, but we've progressed enough and evolved enough and come along enough and we're spiritual enough now, we don't have to just simply build what we do on the Word of God. Now, the church of Philadelphia, they kept his word, and they said, and hast not denied my name, meaning they never got to the point where they were ashamed to be identified with him. Today, we see an identity theft of the Lord Jesus Christ taking place before our very eyes. Those who are changing who Jesus is by false doctrine, by philosophy, making the Lord Jesus into someone different than he truly is, you know what they're doing? It's a denial of his name. You know what your name is? It's, it's, your, it's your reputation. Uh, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. The context in which that is used is, is, is his identity. And this church was not ashamed. Here, you know what happens? We, we will prepare ourselves to deny his name when we cease to be faithful to his word. Can I give an example from the New Testament? The Lord Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And then he tells him, this night you're going to deny. You're going to not, you know, deny my name. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter responded how to his word. He said, not so, Lord. These all may, but not I. You know what he did? He did not keep his word. He rejected it. He said, I don't accept that. I reject that. May I say this, the stop point of growth for any Christian or any church is when we are confronted with the doctrine of God's word that we just can't accept. And sadly, you can watch it, you can observe the lives of Christians and say, what happened? Some point in time, the word of God was made known and a person said, I can't keep that. Uh, if I did that, I couldn't go forward with this plan couldn't do this. But you know what the church of Philadelphia had done? It kept his word. And by keeping his word, they did not deny his name. They were loyal to his authority. They were loyal to his identity. They were not ashamed to be identified with the person of Jesus Christ. And so then he said, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Again, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what? Perhaps, if we knew that for the Lord to be able to use us effectively as a church, he's going to have to just keep us with a little strength. Never, never let us get too strong. Would we be okay with staying small in the eyes of men in order to be used and faithful to God? How about us individually and personally? The Lord's going to have to limit my abilities or give me some kind of a physical ailment in order to use me correctly. By the way, this is not theory. This is the way it works. We have to have something that takes away our natural strength so we rely on his strength. The Philadelphian church had strength, but it wasn't natural strength. They just had a little strength, but it was enough because they were depending on him uh, who is holy and who is true. So the characterization of Christ we've seen, the comprehension of Christ. He knew their fruitfulness, their frailty, and their faithfulness. And I tell you what I'm going to do. We are already at five minutes after eight. And if I try to finish this tonight, we are going to be too long. So let's just stop here. 
we've got halfway through the outline. I don't want to speed through on this church, and so we'll, we'll deal next week with his counsel to them and his consolation to them, the promises he'll make. And uh, may God help us. May God help us to strive to hear from him. You know what? You have a little strength, but, but I know this. You have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. How many of us know that is a real pressure put on us individually and therefore as a church to be disloyal to his word and then to not be faithful to his name, to not be loyal to the very son of God by not identifying closely with him. And his identity with keeping his word is identity with his name. So we'll stop there today.